like we go from comic book commentary podcast to like social justice podcast through mm-hmm. the dark web. <laughs> like it's like a reverse. Like typically people are going into the dark web to say people we're actually or like drawing people out of the dark web. We're going into the dark web and saving people through that measure. Mm-hmm. Making sure they're able to buy their black tar heroin safely. We to catch a predator, the dark web people. Mm-hmm. Like it's it cuts you, it's me. I'm like, hi. Yeah, I got this really sexy lung. <laughs> if you, um, <laughs> yeah, I definitely. Why don't you come check it out? Come check out how I well I breathe. I use it to breathe so much air. <laughs> <laughs> I I convert oxygen into CO two like you would not believe. You just see someone come in with like the most like her like like stock character like horrific like murder looking ass person comes in with just a meat cleaver. Mm-hmm. I'm picturing. I'd- I'm picturing like the the bulldog villain from old like Tex Avery cartoons. Yes. <laughs> and then Chris Hansen's just there waiting. <laughs> Comes out of the darkness. <laughs> Hello listeners. Welcome back to another fantastic episode of the Read This Way podcast. You will be listening to this in the future, but I'm going to be real with you. We're recording this on November 8th. And if you're an American, are you pay attention to American politics? You'll remember that November 7th was a very important day for us. So Jace and I are on the struggle bus today, but we're going to power through talking about chapters five and six of Blankets because we love you guys and we don't want to leave you hanging. Which, by the way, I didn't even introduce us. Uh, if you've forgotten, or if this is your first episode, um, if this is your first episode, I'm sorry, you're you're two episodes behind. You need to go up at least two more episodes because you're going to be completely confused once we start talking about the book. Absolutely lost. So pause this and go back to episode six. Just don't be an anarchist. Just do it. Just trust us. But as a refresher, I'm Renee Pogue, and he's Jace Wingate. I'm Jace Wingate. We're your fantastic hosts, and we're struggling today, but we're going to do it. We're going to do it, and it's going to be probably the best episode we've ever recorded. Who fucking knows? (laughs) I hope. I'm looking forward to what comes out of our mouths. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> after what is probably one of the most stressful weeks of my entire life, <laughs> yesterday was uh, pretty fantastic and very cathartic. So I have stolen all of my happiness from today and used it up yesterday. So, <laughs> so yeah, which I'm sure... If you, listener, and also you, Jace, are thinking back to how you felt on November 8th, you probably felt the same way. Uh, And if you didn't, then you probably aren't going to enjoy this podcast anyway. So, (laughs) Uh, I just remember texting everybody, everybody, as soon as I found out. Because I was very bummed because I found out while I was driving. 
So Kat's just like furiously texting with her family and like telling me what they're all saying. And I was so mad that I couldn't immediately interact. So where, where were you when you found out Jace? So I was playing um, super smash brothers. Nice. And so Rob was Rob scheduled an MRI and was driving to the MRI, got the breaking news came back to the loft and we turned on um, the breaking news that he was projected to win. He had just taken Pennsylvania. Nice. And I went out to get groceries from our friend Kate, who was bringing over groceries to celebrate. And Rob had parked in the fire lane, literally <laughs> parked in the emergency fire lane, fire lane, came back in and like, just had, did not even realize that like he had just absolutely like, just, put the car in park and came inside to watch. And I thought that was, I think that was really beautiful. Like mm-hmm. just the, just the urgency of it. You know, the fact that we've waited four long years for this. Yeah. Like yeah. Kat and I were going to Ikea and we got to Ikea and we sat in the car for like five minutes, furiously texting everybody and like watching, uh, watching the news and shit and all the breaking alerts and then we went inside Ikea and it was, first of all, fucking packed. Oh, of like, course. I don't know why we thought it was a good idea to go to Ikea at noon on the Saturday, but, you know. So we we stood there for a second and we were like, okay, we definitely don't want to be here. And I was like, all right, new plan. We go to Greens. We get some really good beer. And then we celebrate. We went to Greens, which was nice, and everybody there was happy. And we drove through Midtown, and everybody was honking and playing music. And it was a very magical, enchanted moment to be in Atlanta. And I'm, I'm honestly so glad we were in Atlanta for it, because even though I live, I live outside the city. I live in a fairly liberal area, but uh, nothing like that here. Nothing like that here, which was disappointing. But it was nice to be in the city for, you know, the celebration and everything. Well, and just the pure jubilance, like, yeah, on everyone's faces, like Freedom Park, Piedmont Park, just driving. Everyone was celebrating. Everyone was out. Everyone from what I was seeing was honoring social distancing. They had masks on. Mm hmm. And then, like, it's just this eerie silence from the, you know, the Trumpist, right? You know, it's I, <laughs> he, he he falls out of power, but he does become a political movement after this. Like, mm-hmm. I'm I'm seeing on I'm seeing articles like on the Guardian calling it Trumpism. If you go to, I mean, if if you want to see what these people are saying, you can definitely get an idea from r slash. Uh, I think it's our, it's either r slash Donald Trump or r slash the Donald Trump. God. And these people are all crazy. They're like, I'm not right wing anymore. I'm a Trump supporter. Like, they don't even think of themselves as conservative. They just support Donald Trump. And that is creepy. It's that chaos creepy. energy. It's pure chaos. It's so cool. We had one good day in 2020. We had one good day. We don't even get like we barely get twenty four good hours <laughs> well, before they take away Alex Trebek. And like that loss, the people who like on the day that he was projected, they're like, "Well, whatever, like it doesn't fucking matter." And I'm like, "No, it does matter. 
it does matter because this is the stepping stone we have to take to changing America. Mm-hmm. They're like, okay, great, a white centrist, whatever. And I'm like, no, stop. This is getting America <laughs> back on track. We know what we're fighting for in the future. This is not in any way placating what we're fighting for. This is, if anything, reminding us that we have to, like, when we fight for what we believe in, we move in the direction we need to move in. So we continue fighting for what we believe in. And now we have people in office who will listen. Yeah. Listener, I hope I hope that you are registered to vote if you are coming of age by December 7th. I hope you do what you need to do to register to vote and go out and you know let your voice be heard. I hope that you as a young voter or you as a voter in general, a first-time voter, whatever age you are, I hope you have looked at the power of democracy and when the systems that are put in place are used and facilitated by our leaders to let the voices of the people be heard. We have a government run for, by, and in the benefit of the people. Mm -hmm. And I hope that it humbles everyone. I hope these career politicians understand that we are the ones who put them into positions of power and that power can be taken away. Oh, yeah. And not only will your power be taken away, but people will celebrate and dance in the streets when you lose your job. And it's beautiful. I think it's beautiful. So let's take away Mitch McConnell's majority and let's prevent this bullshit. Let's prevent him from doing any more bullshit. And same with Lindsey Graham. Like I'm ready for him to be put on mute, honey. I lost slash won a bet saying that um, if Georgia went blue, I would get a tattoo. So (gasps) I have now lost my bet. Lost one. I think I won. I mean, in the grand scheme, I absolutely won that bet. Meaning yeah, you that get a tattoo and you get and Georgia went blue. So exactly. So like, oh, Georgia cares about the livelihood of our country. I think with them counting all of the mail-in ballots and everything, I honestly think we could see that landslide we were expecting. I think the problem is, is it just didn't come on election night because now they're projecting that Biden could get upwards of three hundred electoral votes you know so perhaps it will perhaps we will see that landslide we just have to be patient for it and if there's one thing americans are not good at it is patience well and the fact that we saw such like it's again he encouraged his voters to go out and vote in person and they did and that's why that initial despair was so palpable Mm -hmm. because you're right we have no patience. We expect immediacy. Our, we're, our brains are built around the immediate gratification of information. So the fact that we've had to wait until Saturday, I mean, given any other normal candidate would have conceded, would have yeah. been like, oh, I'm losing. But of course, this is a fucking man-child demon, baby. <laughs> like, is golfing. Who's golfing I- and tweeting like I won. And, and of course, like, take away the legitimacy of the win because it's all that he knows how to do. So then his like psycho Mm -hmm. followers, he is so desperate. He's such a desperate, fragile, egoed man. I am so happy that Joe Biden won, but I think we all need to be a little bit worried about what the next, you know, two months is going to look like in America with somebody as unhinged as he is. And I, in a perfect world, he goes radio silent. In a perfect world, his ego is so fragile that he's just like, I am going into 
hiding. The White House goes dark in a perfect world. And that's not presidential. What we have seen in the two speeches given by Joe Biden and the one speech given by Kamala, you will see that is presidential. That is compassionate. Mm -hmm. The use of the word we over I and the fact that they listen to the people. I love that Joe Biden says, even if you voted for me, I'm going to fight for you. If you didn't vote for me, I'm going to fight equally as hard for you too. Yeah. Like it's a president who it's, who realizes he's the president of all 50 States plus, you know, Puerto Rico, Guam, Virgin islands, not just the people who voted for him. And he also mentioned transgender people in his he speech. Transgender which, people. Incredible. I mean, I do support strong governments. It's not that I want the government to control everybody. I just think if we are going to have a government system, it should actually benefit its people. I don't understand why that's like a an outlandish thing to say. Like, yeah, no, I want my taxes to go towards stuff that benefits people. It's like, oh, you want the go- you just want a big old mommy nanny government to steal from you. It's like, no, nope. I just if it's, it's got to be in place, so might as well benefit us. Yeah, if I'm technically property of the country that I live in, I sure would love the government to like show some support. <laughs> I sure would be great if we could, you know, live a decent life. We have the money for it, but do we have the gumption to make it happen? Guess we'll find out. Um, speaking of whiny babies, when we go back into blankets in chapter five, we meet Reina's the little baby niece, a real baby who has an excuse for being a whiny baby. And we kind of get an idea of what the rest of her family is like. It's weirdly complicated. Like, I feel like each new layer of family that we meet of Reina's is like, oh, this isn't actually the perfect family. Like, they're all really nice, but there's all, there's like a little bit of like, oh, chip, there's some chips on some shoulders. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's disagreements how people are operating under like the familial form. We meet her sister Julie, who we find out is only like four years older than she is, right? I think so. But I feel like they're pretty close in age. Yeah, they're all like they're all really close, and then we find out that Laura is like 19, and then Ben is 26. I'm like, whoa. We find out that um, yeah, Laura and Ben are adopted because apparently they were like, our kids are so great, we should give back by. Adopting some kids. Which, that was such a weird, like, I. so before we jump into Ben and Laura, because I do have some pretty, like, I have some pretty strong opinions about how they're handled in this chapter, but Mm -hmm. it's, when they're looking through the scrapbook, I thought what, I thought the beautiful detail that Craig gave that moment was like, the moment before, after the snapshot. Oh, yes. I thought that Mm -hmm. was really cool, like again getting this really he's looking he's seeing these snapshots and it looks like the perfect family but then i'm wondering if those like moments before after are like drawing them from retrospect once he got to know more about reyna oh are you talking about when she's playing in the snow or are you talking with her sister oh no i'm talking about the uh let me see when they're looking through the scrapbook and it's the one where there's the one where she's playing in the snow and then the one with her sister. That's the one I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was lovely, the one in the snow. I think I think that really plays into 
the idolization he has of Reyna because it's this adorable little snapshot and in his mind he has this scene playing in his head of this adorable little girl playing in the snow even in like the scene with his sister he has Laura as a caring role like almost in like a virgin mary cradling her sister while the rest of her family fights you know i think it's him learning about her family but i think it also really contributes to this pedestal that he places her on in every situation. And do you think like the, so do you think that the narrative that he builds around like that particular picture of her with Julie is kind of like him projecting like the way his family has operated on top of like her family and then putting her on that pedestal as well. The family just fights. And then she of course is like really sad I think it probably is a little bit of projection because up until this point, I mean, he knows that there is some dysfunction, but he hasn't really seen it. He only knows what she's told him and everybody that he's met so far has been beyond polite and nice and wonderful. So I think it probably is a little bit of him drawing from his own experiences. Yeah, I think it's so because, again, it's that he has such an active imagination but uh, it's so limited in terms of like, and I think this is universal in a way too. We our our ideas of families only extend like to the extent of what we know about our own family, right? Mm-hmm. He can't imagine what her life was like before he met her, but it's still skewed by like only everything he's experienced in his family. I feel like we still are forever like fleshed to our own personal experiences of being within a family Mm -hmm. so that's why in the pictures he can like put rain on such a pedestal but then also like view the before after snapshots of that picture in his mind and dealings with like how his family operates that's his frame of reference you know yes it's interesting. And then it really brought me back to my teenage years where they're looking at the scrapbook and they're very close to each other and very much enjoying each other's company. And then they hear the door and they immediately jump apart. Yes. And then they jump apart. I love that. <laughs> yep. Hey, mom. Yep. 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 Definitely been there. I mean, not if, if my mom's listening. No, I never did that. Yeah. Never, I've never, ever. 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 I don't even know what that – I've never seen that before except for, like, this moment. Then we see the mom take those mysterious pills again. Oh, I didn't even notice that. Oh, yeah. I am interested to find out what that is. I'm 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 wondering if he'll go into it. I you hope know? so because I'm, I'm very curious as well. Did you enjoy that little insight into Ben? Yeah. It shows us a little bit of – just kind of why he doesn't trust Craig. I'm curious because like, are they, are both Ben and Laura, do they have Down syndrome or? I thought they both did. I didn't pick up on Ben. I thought Ben was just shy. And then this is kind of more of an insight thing. I was like, oh, I didn't realize. Mm. Oh yeah, no, I caught on to that. I think. I don't remember if she said it or maybe I just assumed it, but yeah, they both are developmentally disabled 
and that transition into the moment we've been fucking waiting for. That makes us sound terrible, but as soon as I read it, I was like, okay, good. Yes, thank you for expounding on this. And I think it's mostly just because he started the thread of this story and it was just like, tell me how it ends, you know? It was such a gut punch mm-hmm. that I was like, I can't. I think because we knew, like Renee, we knew what it was. We knew what was happening behind that door. And then to like find out truly. And to find out that it it messed with him so much that it made him not want to become an adult. It made him not want to become a teenager because in his mind, it was like, uh, as a child right now, I am pure. But if this is what it means to be an adolescent or a teenager, then I don't want it. Well, and like, why do that to a child? Why do that to a child? I just... It's so terrible. I do I do love this choice to not ever show the the um, babysitter's full face. Even in that the full body shot, his face is covered. Yeah. So I think that is sort of like taking back a little bit from what's been taken away from him. Is it's like you are a grotesque human being and you are going to be part of this story because you are part of my trauma, but I'm not going to give you the validation of of being able to completely see yourself. Exactly. Like I will take back the action of what happened and this terrible thing, but you but you my personal like abuser will not get to have that closure. Mhm. Like I will take I will take back what happened, but you will not be a part of that taking back. You will just be a faceless monster. Just a disjointed mass of parts. Yes. And I think it's it's interesting because he realizes that he is he is growing and developing, but it's I don't know. I don't think he hasn't quite accepted yet that he can be different, that his development is different. You know, like yes. you don't have to be the way you were treated. And I think that's so. I remember when I was little, I used to always wonder, like, what would I look like when I was an adult? And I mm-hmm. couldn't picture it. And I think you're right. Like, it's so interesting to see him, like, deal with this present predicament. Like, well, I am a teenager now with all of these things. And he is different. He's a very caring person. Yes. I did love this lovely discussion they had by candlelight. It was very, very distilling a lot of. Uh, religious philosophy discussion into one conversation. I think I think it was the 18th century. It might have been earlier than that, but there's a lot of discussion over like, at what point are you responsible for your own salvation? At what point are you responsible for understanding enough about it to make a choice? I, I feel like I never had these discussions like in person. I feel like I always kind of had these discussions with myself, like when I was mm-hmm. reflecting on my own relationship with the church i i wish there were more conversations like this that happened in in congregation in in congregating with one another because it is kind of like i think i spoke on this in a previous episode the the mystery behind faith what it means to have faith in something Mm -hmm. because it is so general there is such a mystery behind that word that like 
I think a lot of churches abuse it in a way where they're like, well, this is how I hold power over you because you can never truly know that you have faith or what it means to be a follower of Christ because faith is truly believing without evidence. Yes. And can you trust that you are doing the right thing if you don't follow my exact guidance? Exactly. I did forget the uh, the etymology, if you will, of the term grace period. Yeah. Until he spoke about it, and I was like, "Oh yeah, that's what a great that's what grace period means, huh?" Okay. From when you're a baby until you're old enough to, you know, accept Jesus into your heart, which I'm pretty sure I was also five or six when that happened. Yeah, I think I was eight. I was eight when I was baptized. Okay. Well, see, I was. Yeah, I think I was nine when I was baptized. So we were in that. We were still in that window. Mm-hmm. And then it's an interesting discussion with um, when she starts talking about Ben and Laura. The mental comprehension. Yeah. Poor Craig. He is really just like trying so hard. And he just continually, he's so close. I wonder, so why, I'm curious to get your interpretation of this. Why do you think she wants to be by him at night, but then in the day it disappears? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't read romance in it. But, like, I don't know what you're reading in the pages. Yeah, it is difficult. It is difficult to to see that. It's almost like um like a companionship thing. Like, he's there, and it's nice to have a person there. But then there's that disconnect when there's other people around to fulfill that, I guess. I was also confused by it. I did love, and this was what really like put forward the the concept. I think of how he views Reina is the scene where he's going through all of the Bible verses in his head mm-hmm. and basically making himself feel terrible and beating himself down over and over and over again. And then as soon as he sees Reina, he jumps to Song of Solomon and beauty and positivity and. I don't know. I thought it was a wonderful choice to make because it's it's obvious that I I think this I can't remember if um this chapter and the next chapter I think is almost it's a little heart wrenching and I, I think we get the first bit of it right here where it is so obvious that Craig is just head over heels absolutely in love with her. And I think that has a lot to do with how much he idolizes her and how much he sees her as this beam of light in an existence he otherwise hates very much. But I think it becomes apparent throughout this chapter that she does not feel the same. Like, the way he sits up and writes a psalm in his head to God about how much he just enjoys watching her sleep. Like something as innocuous as getting to watch her sleep. And I just, I don't see that reciprocated. And I love where he, where he talks about how he should feel guilty, but he doesn't. And I think what's difficult in this narrative again is that like we only see it from Craig's perspective. Yeah, we can only under like Laura is we we can't truly know Laura's feelings until she says something out loud in this story. Oh, Reina. Oh, sorry, Reina. I don't. Why did I say Laura? 
<laughs> uh, Laura, Laura's feelings are very apparent. I'm like, wait, doesn't Laura love Craig? Am I reading this comic book right? <laughs> yes, Raina. No, we we can't we can't know Raina's true feelings until she says something out loud. Although I, I love, I think the scene of them playing in the snow together is really nice. It's obviously a nice little callback to him playing in the snow with his brother, especially when she talks about how, you know, you're not cold if you keep moving which is the same thing he was talking about when he was playing in the snow with his brother. And it's just kind of a a lovely early moment of the two getting to just spend time together. And then he sees it's that callback on that final page before we enter into the next chapter that we see his echo back to her dancing in the snow as a child. Oh my God. I did not even catch that. Holy cow. Hold on. I got to scroll. Hold on. Hold on. I mean, I got to flip back readers because I'm reading this. I mean, scroll flip. That's I talk about my books. I scroll through them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. You can scroll down a page. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's the same pose. Holy cow. Okay. All right. Good. Good on you. I totally did not catch that. Well, that's double beautiful. And then it's double ruined for me by the start of the next chapter. I feel like chapter five ends so beautifully. You have this wonderful moment of them spending time together and you see his love for her continuing to blossom and their connection together and them sharing this wonderful moment out on the snow. And then the next chapter is two boys peeing on each other. It's true. Like when I tell you, I was like, oh, Oh, oh God. Oh no. Oh, oh no. And it just continues to get worse and worse. I'm like, wait, stop. Yeah, I was stop. like, am I, am I on the FBI list for reading this? Like, there's just a lot of little boy peepees here. A lot of little boy peepees. Just peeing on each other over and over again. Their poor mother. Oh my God. Like, I just, I love it because it's so, like, I, I think like the lead in, like I love the I love the bungee of like how deep in this how deep in this like weird, dark, like not inherently insidious childhood moment. Like it's kind mm-hmm. of I don't, I don't even know what to call this. I'm like, this is objectively it's like it's two children who are like who two brothers who are just fucking playing, but it's like not se- it's not sexual in any way. And then yeah. but then this their mom comes in and is like, what the actual fuck? are you doing how do you explain that their poor mother if i if i had walked in on my two children doing that to each other i would pack my shit and leave i'd be like you don't have a mom (laughs) (laughs) it's done this contract's over this contract's broken (laughs) be like uh okay well thought i could be motherhood turns out i can't you don't have a mom anymore (laughs) bye (laughs) well and like this this weird like i I love i love this exploration of the showers like this transition into Mm -hmm. adulthood like suddenly they they'd only taken baths up to this point it's suddenly baptismal and like this this disappointed mother like crooning at them from the toilet while they're showering and they're just 
I mean, I remember that. I remember when I, sixth grade, sixth grade was when I started taking showers and I felt very grown up. I was like, oh man, no more baths for me. I'm taking showers now. I remember that. It is this weird, it is this weird initiation. You know, we're our most vulnerable in the bathroom. We're naked. Mm -hmm. We're in a shower. We're, we're bathing. We're cleaning ourselves. Um, and so I think some of our greatest fights can happen in bathrooms, like in some of our moral like battlegrounds. I remember when my mom found gay porn on my computer at 16. She um Oof. I know, right? I should have learned how to fucking use delete that history. My mom is not a computer genius. I would have gotten <laughs> away with it anyway. <laughs> but in that moment, she found the porn and I was like, what the fuck do I do? How do I save this? And I remember like my mom. It's so Southern. My mom like went and took a bath because she couldn't take it. Like she couldn't take the thought of it. So I like oh went into God. the, I went into the bathroom and I like sat on the toilet and I was like, I, I think I remember just like, you know, lay, lamenting. I've, I obviously blocked out a lot of it because of course it's traumatic at like 15, 16 to like have a very keystone part of yourself, a keystone of myself brought into complete question something that I wasn't ready to share yet and I was hiding to for that to be discovered and I just remember like lamenting to her I was like I'm so sorry I'm gonna it was an accident I was just curious like just saying whatever I needed to say to get out of it that that like reading this passage really kind of like brought that memory to the forefront of my mind I was like oh this is so true like only in the context, it was more so a baptism. When I lost my virginity in college, I went immediately and took a shower after. Really? I, I immediately took a shower. I was cleaning myself. I like, I think I had a panic attack in the shower. I don't remember. I remember being very just like, oh, it was Renee. I was like this. It was, I, I, I was like, this isn't, I can't be like this. This can't be my truth. And then, of course, I did the work, though. I came out to Kathleen, and then I was like, all right, I'm ready. I was like, let's go. Let's go, girls. Dun, dun, <laughs> na, 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 na. Let's go, girls. And now look at you. But it's it's when he's talking about being when – he, when he reflects on the rape by that teenager, and he's like, I don't want to become a teenager because he's afraid of what he'll do to people – that was how I felt mm -hmm. when I had to come to terms with my queerness. When I came to terms with being gay, I was like coming from the deep South. Like, like we talked about in the first episode, if you're gay, you're trash and you just hurt families, you break people apart. And I remember mm -hmm. carrying that with me. And when I came out, I was like, I, I don't want to be like that. I don't want that to be me. And I realized, Oh, that gay people don't, Queer people don't do that. And if they do, they they should be reprimanded for that. Absolutely. They have to carry the repercussions of what they do. But not every queer person is insidious. Not every queer person is out to destroy the moral fiber of the world. Yeah, most of us just want brunch. I just want fucking mimosas. Yeah, I just want to like I just want to have my brunch and mm -hmm. tip 25%. Yes. Including tax. Not excluding it. I wanted I wanted to be all inclusive of my tip of twenty five percent. Oh my god! When people are when people tip pre tax, I'm just like, go fuck yourself. Oh, you're gonna tip on nineteen twenty two instead of twenty dollars and forty cents. Like, go fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself. Well, and tipping on the like the like stingier side of that nineteen, it's like yeah. you're going more towards like the three dollar mark. It's like okay, Mary, 
<laughs> Listen, Mary. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> what what do you think is the significance of the transition from like this this young experience of being unable to feel like you can wash the sin off of you transitioning to these high school hallways? I would say that it's this feeling of like this judgment that his mother like passed on him at this young age, the the very judgmental mm-hmm. nature of being a Christian on that kind of like journey of self-discovery of being a teenager. All of these kids partying, all of these kids smoking, it's sinful. He feels unclean being around it. But in actuality, mm-hmm. it's just a part of growing up. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. This isn't high school hallways, the party. High school party. I mean, I yeah. wish they were drinking and smoking in the high school hallways. Yeah. <laughs> hey, 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 progressive school. <laughs> um, I do. I did like the the artistic choice of him where he kind of blocks out him and Reyna. He enjoys those moments where it's just him and Reyna. So to be surrounded by all of these people and he's still just trying to create a space for just the two of them. And we start seeing the disconnect between their relationship at these parties where it's like, mm-hmm. we clearly see that Craig has this idea of where their relationship is going. And then like, we see these interactions. There was that really like sad part where somebody said, oh my God, you look like brother and sister. Are you a couple? And she says, if we were, it'd we be incestuous. Be- I think that's where we kind of get like where, where Raina's heart is. But then that, I, but I also like, I don't, I don't like, do you feel that it's wrong for me as a reader to be like, she's playing both fields, or do you feel that it's like she truly like in a in a full household, she feels like she can't really connect to anyone in her family. And this is like the first person that she has felt is like an extension of family. Maybe. I mean, I think it's one of those things where she doesn't see it as serious as he does. And I think that is the crux of it. I think the idea of being an item to her is like, are you an item means like, are you going to spend the rest of your lives together? And for her, I don't think she is at that stage yet. Or it could be the fact that she doesn't want her friends to know that she's as close to Craig as she is. There's always that possibility. Well, and she's popular. I love that discovery too, that she's like, oh, really popular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they they meet because he is looking for people who are outsiders. So he, I guess he assumed she was an outsider like him, but it turns out she's just not a particularly religious person and doesn't particularly like to involve herself in church events. So that's what makes her an outsider, not necessarily her popularity level. Also, man, what a fucking hipster. What a fucking hipster. He's upset because other people there are dressed similar to him. Yes. Like, God, I hate that people are wearing clothes similar to me. This is is so lame. Yeah, like, he's used to standing out for the way he dresses. But everybody here dresses similar. And then, do you think, so do you think, like, the big thing for her... Like when she was like, well, I need to slow the brakes on this was when he like drew the two of them in that tree. I think it was that. I think it was because when he did that, that's when he says he loves her, isn't it? 
Yeah. Yeah. And she goes, oh, Craig. I'm like, oh, God. Oh, no. Craig, you're you in danger, girl. And did you notice the font choice? Because he had just gone on and on about how, how sad it made him when she would type up her poems because he loved her penmanship. And he thought that it, the type made it cold. And so he says, I love you in this script handwriting. And then the O. Craig is the cold typeset. Oh, brilliant. That's brilliant. So I think, I think she sees him as a source of comfort. And I would say, I don't know. It, it is upsetting because we do only see this from Craig's side so far, but this is Craig's first time from what we know, experiencing these type of strong emotions for somebody. But it probably isn't the first time that Raina has liked somebody and dated somebody. So she, from her perspective, she clearly enjoys being around him and clearly enjoys you know, spending time together, but she's not at the hard commitment level he is. I think it's, I think a lot of people would probably blame her and say like, oh, you're using him when I don't think that's the case at all. I think it's, I think it's very much like they both seek some solace in this relationship Mm -hmm. and he is just diving a little bit deeper than she is diving into it. Yeah, like he's putting her at the center of his universe and she has so many more people in her orbit that she's not ready to place him in that same space. What do you think of this um, this Ben episode that we get? It was kind of nice. This particular instance is important because the way Ben in particular has been acting towards Craig, it's easy to imagine that he just doesn't like Craig. But that overlooks the fact that he's going through something severe and difficult. And I think this, you know, there's, of course, when you're talking about people who are developmentally disabled, there's always like different levels of it. And I think this shows that Ben is probably at a higher cognitive level than Laura is kind of get hints of that earlier because he will help his dad out and he's talking about his future or what he wants to do in the future when he's at breakfast with Raina and we don't really you know Laura doesn't really talk but I think this shows just how much he's really struggling with a whole traumatic situation plus there's a stranger in his house it's that way in which he kind of like processes the information because the dad's mm-hmm. like, this is, I, Oh, we're talking about that thing. I told you this morning, he can't fully comprehend the emotions he's experiencing. So he like throws the chair and gets physical. And mm-hmm. I love, I love the gentleness of this father just kind of standing by letting, letting him have this release because he needs it. Yeah. His dad is really, is really kind of like this, uh, to to dive into tropes, Raina's dad and Ben's dad seems very much that gentle giant trope. Like he's this very big imposing figure, but in the opposite of the way Craig's dad is a big imposing figure. Craig's dad is a big imposing figure who is scary and who enacts punishment. And if you step out of line and you upset him, you will suffer for it. Whereas Raina's dad is this 
also, I mean, he's broad-shouldered, quite tall, probably one of the tallest people in the story, but he is loving. He seems a little misguided, and obviously there are issues we're not seeing, but he is comforting to Craig as soon as he meets him. He clearly cares about all of his children. Like, he's just this very sweet character, the opposite of Craig's dad. This feels so bad for Ben. I know. It's like, and I love that the final moment is the chair hitting the wall and then it cuts out. Yeah, And just this cathartic frustration because like he doesn't know how to deal with it. So did we, I don't remember what city Raina lives in. I just know it's in Michigan. Yeah, I know. I think we know the distance that she drove that one time, but I don't think we actually know what city she lives in. Okay, let's do some sleuthing. Sleuth. Given where Marathon, Wisconsin is, for her to drive 800 miles, that means that the part of Michigan she's in would have to be in the Upper Peninsula, because otherwise you'd have to drive through Chicago to get to it. And I'm just not seeing any really big cities in the Upper Peninsula. So so it'd have to, it would have to be Marquette. It's like Marquette is the largest city in the Upper Peninsula, and it's less than 20,000 people. But I guess that would be, I mean, that would still be more than Marathon because Marathon, there's a thousand people. I guess it makes sense. Yeah, because her school she's in is like 1,500 people, which is actually like pretty big for high school. Yeah. Also, I just want to know what kind of fucking high school she goes to where she can just go and check into class and then leave. Yeah, I was like, that's weird. This is the first time I think we learned something about Reyna that isn't necessarily positive. Like, we know that she has some similarities with Craig. And I think she talks a little bit about her not going to school. But before now, we can just kind of assume that the reason is similar to Craig. Craig doesn't really go to school because he doesn't believe that anything on this earth matters because it's all about the heavenly kingdom. And I guess since we met her at church camp, you know, it's easy to assume that she's similar, but we find out not really. She just kind of is popular with the outsiders crowd. And she just parties. She's a partier. Mm-hmm. And then this like this opposing Damien character that comes out that of course is painted in this like light of potentially being a love interest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's it's probably definitely dif- difficult for Craig, who doesn't have friends, to suddenly find out that not only is Raina very popular, but a lot of her friends are dudes. A lot of male friends. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I can see it being a source of insecurity for him. But then she also like wants to show him to people at the party. She's like, you need to come meet my friend. You have to come meet my friend. So like again, there's it's... They go to the parties and she's not like abandoning him. She's very much like, oh my gosh, come meet my friend. You are going to love him. Like that energy. But then at the same time, it's like, that's the where she's like, oh no, we're not an item. If we were, it would be incestuous. And like, that's hurtful to hear in public. Like when you've been spending mm-hmm. such intimate time with someone and they're like, oh no, we're just friends. And you're like, wait, huh? <laughs> and apparently she smokes weed. No, because they smoke weed at the um, at the church camp. Remember, because they offer it oh, to him, and he's—I don't think we see her do it. Okay, but they—they they definitely are about to smoke weed, and he's like, "Yeah, I don't do that. I have to go meet a friend." So I don't think we ever like see her do it. Okay, 
Because I was very taken aback. I was like, oh, okay. It's just very, I guess the next few panels are just very heartbreaking of him just realizing, getting that shock of maybe this isn't good. Like maybe this isn't the relationship I I thought it was. Having gone out to spend those two weeks with her without any expectations and then suddenly to have expectations form while he's there, I think that would be difficult for me as well. And I'm sure like they're teenagers. So it's like, it's two weeks. So by the end of that two weeks, someone's going to get tired of somebody. Oh yeah. Two weeks is, is so long. When he said the two weeks, I was like, oh, you've met each other once before and you've just been writing letters back and forth. Like why? Two weeks is way too long. Way too long. And then what did, what did you feel the significance was of this little interlude? about not having our earthly relationships in heaven because he's putting stock in it he's putting Mm. it's the first earthly relationship that he's like putting stock in fully that he's like oh i could be romantic with this person i'm really confiding Mm. in them this is the most vulnerable i've been with someone even amongst my family it's suddenly i think it's again i think it's the defense mechanism that he uses in his Christianity, like I, oh, why go to school? Because these lessons I'm learning in school don't matter. Oh, well, I'm facing what I feel are like, you know, glimpses of rejection. So uh, let me flash back to the Sunday school teaching of these earthly boundaries. These earthly relationships don't matter. Everything will all be equal in a way. And I think just that last panel of how can we dwell for all eternity with the memory of the sin we committed on earth. And at this point, he's convinced himself that even the tiniest bit of interaction they have is somehow sinful because he's seeing it as lustful. And so in his mind, this interaction he enjoyed has now become something to apologize for. And in his head, he's like, I I am focusing so much on this relationship that I'm messing up. And then they finally like address the elephant in the room in that car. Oh, so sad. It's so, I'm like, the two, the thing is, she's clearly been hurt before. Clearly, she's been hurt before. And if not personally, then she is hurt by the relationship she sees with her sister and her brother in law. The divorce that her parents are going through. Exactly. And she really feels like her sister rushed into that relationship without really thinking about it because she was just trying to get married. And it's not a mistake she wants to make. Everything degenerates, which makes sense. Like the two main romantic relationships she sees as a 17-year-old, like you said, her parents who are getting a divorce and her sister who doesn't have a good marriage, those are not good relationships. So I can see her frustration with not knowing whether it's worth it. And like my my rebuttal, and I understand I'm like arguing with a teenager that's written in a comic book. My rebuttal would be that you have to take, if you have to take the risk, the price of love is lost, yet still we pay. And we love anyway. Mm-hmm. It's We don't know how it's going to end, nor is it our place to know. Yeah, if you could cheat and skip to the end, would you still do it? Exactly. You have to remember that these characters are very young. So it so young. It would make sense that she would she would be conflicted with wanting to take something seriously when 
she's not she's not seeing good fruit develop from the other relationships around her and instead she's engaging with this i don't want to make assumptions but from her friend group it seems like a very fatalistic anarchistic enjoying the here and the now which is a very teenage mindset and is the very opposite of craig's mindset Craig doesn't give a fuck about the here and now. He's like, get the here and now away from me as fast as possible. I have no intention of enjoying it. I just want to get past all this so I can hurry up and get to heaven because this world doesn't matter. And we're the more we see of Reina, the more we see that she has an opposite philosophy. You know, she wants to enjoy those little bits of happiness, like having a beer with friends, smoking some weed while your parents aren't home. She's like a normal teenager. Yeah. That brings us to the end of this mm-hmm. chapter. Her wanting destination music to keep her awake. Just something to get, something to get me to the end, so that way I don't have to worry about the middle. Oh, and that and just like the sad, sad look on her face. Just so like despair. But how lovely that she feels comfortable opening up to Craig in this way, because it is so easy to just stay emotionally shut off and not be able to translate these feelings into a true conversation. She feels totally okay being being very open and just letting him know what's on her heart. And, you know, even though it's not what he wants to hear, and even though it doesn't necessarily lead to the happy ending he wanted, it's still beautiful that they they still have this closeness they share. Yeah, like the fact that they can have this like intimacy at this age and like, have the philosophical, you know, moral quandaries that they're discussing is really beautiful. Like people, a lot of people will go their entire lives not having anything close to what they're having. Yeah, it's very, you know, it's a little heartbreaking, but it's also lovely in its own way. We're coming to the close of Blankets. What do you think, what What are your hopes in seeing in the final two chapters? I'm getting sad because I feel like we're about to come to the end of their relationship. It does genuinely seem like that's where it's heading. And that given how we have seen Craig elevate Reyna and we've seen how high his opinion is of her, it worries me what happens when they're not together anymore. And it worries me what happens when he gets his heart broken this first time. And is that the catalyst he needs to leave religion? Or what is the catalyst? Because we know there is one. So what ultimately leads him to do his 360? 360? 180. Nope. Yep. 180. 180. Mm -hmm. I'm gay. I don't do math. We're artists on this podcast, not mathematicians. Exactly. Leave math up to John King. He'll be doing all my math for me from now on. The only mathematician I need. But yes. How about how about you? How are you feeling about this? I feel the same. I'm like, I'm interested to see where the time leap takes us because I feel like it's going to be the, the final chapters. We see the end of their relationship or whatever the relationship becomes post this moment. And I'm curious to see where he lands. I don't think we'll, I mean, again, I love the small stuff. I'm like, I want to know what the mom is taking. I'm curious about those pills. And I'm interested to see if they like maintain their friendship, even though the relationship doesn't work out. 
Yeah, because I think having somebody that you can deeply talk to is very important. And it doesn't have to be someone you're romantically linked to. And I think that's an important lesson for him to learn. That we're not always going to like marry our soulmates. That sometimes our soulmates are going to be our best friends. Yeah. And you know, you're you're most likely not going to meet your soulmate when you're 17 years old, despite what you think at the time. Despite what you think at the time. (laughs) I'm excited to see how he manages to tie everything together. Same. Because I feel like it's very much not like it. I think we're getting to like the real meat, the real conflict of the story Mm -hmm. in this last chapter. Like I think we really hit kind of that first bit of friction in the car. Yes. And we get to see that play out at the end, which I think is interesting. Understanding that conflict of Craig coming to terms with himself. Exactly. I can't wait. Thank you listeners for tuning in to this episode of Read This Way as we discuss the penultimate section of Blankets by Craig Thompson. Um, If you like what you hear, if you've read this graphic novel and you have opinions as well and you'd like to share those with us, you can totally reach out to us at readthiswayperiodpodcast at gmail.com. And that email name is also our handle on Instagram. Super handy, super nifty. Give us a follow on Instagram. And that way, if you have questions, you can just like type in READ. And since you follow us, we'll be the first ones on your Instagram search. And then you can just DM us from there. It's honestly out of convenience for you to follow us. And we post super cute uh, information on our Instagram about our next books. So if you want to join us in what we're reading, that's probably going to be the best place to get your info. We so appreciate you tuning in and I look forward and I know Renee looks forward to this as well, seeing what the next four years look like and how we get to grow, help America heal and fight for the things that are going to bring our nation equity to those who need it. So I'm so excited. We love you. Penultimate is like my favorite word. I love penultimate. It's like the only word that I know how to use correctly. So I'm really glad (laughs) that I got to throw it in here. Next month is the penultimate month of Trump's presidency. Yes. Thank you, America. And we love you guys. We love you guys. Thank you for listening. We'll talk soon. We'll talk soon. Yay. Bye, everybody. Bye.